Good to be with you here this morning. We sing, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, a love that is immeasurable, a love that we cannot completely comprehend. But the Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, has loved us with an everlasting love, and he has laid down his life for us. If you would, please turn in your copy of God's Word written to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, as we continue in 2 Peter. Before I pray and then read the passage, some other remarks. As we continue in 2 Peter, it's clear that his hopes and his purpose in this letter and writing to these believers a second time is that they would be complete in Christ, that they would know all the blessings of salvation and they would be full and complete in Christ. In fact, he closes this letter by speaking of his desire for them to grow in Christ, as he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in chapter 3, verse 18 of this letter. But in the midst of this, there is chapter 2, severe and sober and even terrifying warnings to false teachers and to those who would follow. Again, we give thanks that the Good Shepherd has laid down his life for us and that when he speaks, we hear his voice and follow him. And so let's pray now that that would be the case. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you again and we thank you for your constant and everlasting love that you have shown to us. And we thank you that you have shown that love to us and that while we were yet sinners, your son, Jesus Christ, died for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the good shepherd who has laid down your life for your sheep. And we thank you that you have made us your sheep. We ask now that you would speak to us and that we would hear you and follow you. We ask that you would come in the power of your Holy Spirit and give us eyes to see and ears to hear anew and hearts to believe, that we would hear the warnings, that we would hear the promises, and that above all, we would see you, Lord Jesus, in your beauty, in your love, in your truth, as you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, 2 Peter chapter 2, something of a lengthy passage, a difficult word that Peter gives to these believers. So please give attention to God's holy and inspired word. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, 
If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is a hard word to hear. It's a hard word to read, but it is a needed word 
It was a needed word for the church as Peter wrote this. It has been a needed word for the church throughout the ages. And it is a needed word for us. It's a hard word. Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor, a teacher that many of us hold in high respect and honor, after preaching 10 years in a Baravon Wells uh, preach for some 30 years at Westminster Chapel in London from 1939 to 1968. And many of us, he preached thousands of sermons. In his exposition of 2 Peter, he begins the exposition of chapter 2 by saying this, among other things. He writes, of all the chapters which are to be found in the entire Bible, the second chapter of 2 Peter is among the most terrible. And then he goes on to say why this is the case. He's not saying that it's a terrible word in the sense of what we need, but it is a terrible word by way of warning, by disaster, and by way of destruction. And so the question can be asked, does it need to be this terrible of a word? Why is this the case? What's the reason for it? Well, as we consider this, let's think about this. Peter is nearing the end of his life and ministry. About 35 years before this, Peter had graciously been restored by Christ after denying him three times. In this encounter, if you remember back in April, as Sean preached from the latter part of John, we are reminded that not only was Peter restored, but he was commissioned or recommissioned to bring the word of Christ to others. In Peter's recommissioning, we hear the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, saying to Peter, this under-shepherd, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. These are Jesus' sheep that Peter is speaking to, that he's writing to. This is the word of the Good Shepherd through the Apostle Peter to these sheep that he dearly loves. These are Jesus' sheep, the ones that he, as the Good Shepherd, has laid down his life for, has redeemed them, has rescued them, bought them with his precious blood, as we heard in the assurance of God's pardoning grace that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, but it was at the price of his life, of his shed blood, of his enduring eternal wrath in the place of his people, of his sheep. And so with this in view, as we hear these hard words, these terrible words in a sense, they're necessary, they come from a good shepherd as he speaks to his sheep. And so in this long passage, in this hard passage before us, I want us to consider in this way, that the Good Shepherd warns his sheep about false teachers, straightforward. That the Good Shepherd pronounces condemnation on these false teachers and their followers. 
And the good shepherd indicts the character and conduct of the false teachers, their hearts and lives. Now, actually, this general outline could be ordered differently as we actually have in this passage. These cycles are these waves of warning, of indictment, of condemnation throughout the passage. But we'll go about it in this way. So first of all, the good shepherd warns his sheep about false teachers. Well, in the first three verses, and we would see this throughout the passage, but I'll draw out a couple of statements that Peter makes. He warns his hearers, he warns these Christians about these false teachers, saying these kind of things about them, that they secretly bring destructive heresies, opinions or views that are contrary to Christ and to his gospel that are detrimental to the people of God, even denying the master who bought them. And just as we hear this statement, denying the master who bought them, and then there's another later in the passage that would cause people to think about, what is this saying about uh, the atonement of Christ and, and its efficacy or about perseverance of the saints? And time doesn't allow uh, to go into that. But what we do know is that the Scripture teaches the definite atonement of Christ and the efficacy of His atonement and the perseverance of the saints. Well, he goes on to say, not only will they secretly bring destructive heresies, but here is part of the warning that it's not just something that is self-contained with these teachers, but it says that many will follow their sensuality. And keep in mind that this is not just talking about orthodoxy or unorthodoxy or heresy, but it's getting at the heart and at the life. Many will follow their sensuality. And then it says this, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. This is most, should most likely be taken that the church will be dishonored, will be viewed and spoken of in, a, in an irreverent way that Christ and his people will be blasphemed, will be dishonored, will be spoken of and held in an irreverent, ray, irreverent way. And then finally, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. And again, if I could point out that the mixture of these, uh, these characters are, are the heart of the matter and what takes place shows the intensity and the depth of not just false teaching, but the lies. In their greed, not just greed for money, but for power, for influence, uh, for uh, reputation, for control over others, they will exploit you with false words. And we could go on. This warning was needed in this context and has been needed throughout the history of the church. In this context, uh, Peter is likely addressing people who had given into and, had, and embraced various Gnostic heresies, a, a secret knowledge that they thought of God and of angels and the supernatural that would deny the deity of Christ and de would diminish his preeminence. A, a, a heresy that would teach a false asceticism, a, a, a warped and, and twisted works righteousness or knowing God. Uh, likely, uh, and, and when we consider Paul addressing the Judaizers, that was more of strictly a gospel matter of the Judaizers adding works to the finished work of Christ. 
But this is what Peter is getting at. It was a needed warning for his day. It's been a needed warning throughout the history of the church. We think of the heresies, and again, time won't allow uh, to go into all of these, but the heresies of the early church surrounding Christological and Trinitarian heresies and heresies concerning the nature of, of man and, and his sin and his need for grace and a diminishing of the need for the gospel that were dealt with in the early church councils, especially in the first five centuries. We think of the declension of the church through the Middle Ages and then the need for the Reformation and praise be to God that he would bring that Reformation of gospel preaching that, the, that the, the affirmation of sola scriptura and sola gratia and sola fide, solus Christus and soli deo gloria were proclaimed loud and hard. But then also through the ages, and again skipping many and not going into detail, the rise of, of higher criticism and theological liberalism in the 18th and 20th through the 18th to early 20th centuries that continues with, with destruction even today. The four, and, and leading up to that, we find, and uh, fi, uh, a few weeks ago, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of, of the PCA. And we thank the Lord, not in any way in pride or patting ourselves on the back, but we thank the Lord for His grace and mercy and kindness in leading leaders to affirm the truth of the Scripture, to affirm the sufficiency of Scripture, the truth of the gospel truths of the Reformed faith, and a recommitment to the Great Commission with Christ as the good news. But we could continue the need for this kind of letter, the proliferation of cults and other false teachers in our day and in days gone by. As I said in the earlier service, again, time doesn't allow to name names so much because we would go on and on and on. But the prolifer proliferation of cults and false teachers, the prosperity gospel, the word faith, positive confession movement, and sadly, not just theological scandals, but sex scandals and scandals of men embezzling money and leaders embezzling. It's a, it's a grim picture, but it does remind us and points us to this reality of Christ coming and warning his church. Here is, and, and Francis Schaeffer, back all the way in 1984, his last of many books, wrote this in The Great Evangelical Disaster. Here is The Great Evangelical Disaster, the failure of the evangelical world to stand for truth as truth. There is only one word for this, namely accommodation. The evangelical church has accommodated to the world spirit of the age. And so this is the warning that is given, a needed warning. And what Francis Schaeffer was writing almost 40 years ago, we see that has grown in force, the need for that kind of word, as we see false teachers continuing. Well, we see the Good Shepherd warning his people about false teachers, but also we need to take the time, as hard as it is, to hear what Jesus, the Good Shepherd, through his under-shepherd Peter, uh, says in pronouncing condemnation 
on these false teachers. You see some scripture references in the outline, but this is not all. I'll just, this will be something of a blitz through this. But I hope that as we've read this passage and as we rehearse these warnings about these, uh, the condemnation that, that the Lord will grip our hearts with this as we hear this warning. In verse 1, this kind of language is used, that they bring upon themselves swift destruction. In verse 3, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And then in verses 4 through 9, and I wish we had more time to deal with this, but in, in, in verses 4 through 9, there is a, a remarkable and very poignant if-then conversation that takes place. If you look in your Bible, it begins, if God, and then he speaks of the sinful angels, of the ancient world, and of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in verse 9, that section concludes, if God did not spare these, he also knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And then he says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Well, looking a little bit closer at these verses, this comparison from greater to lesser, if we could say that, this comparison to the angels who sinned, most likely those spoken of in Genesis chapter 6. He did not spare them, but here is the language that is used that is true. He cast them into hell. He does borrow a, 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 a label from, or a description from Greek mythology here, Tartarus, but it is hell. Uh, he cast them into hell, committing them to chains of gloomy darkness, kept until the judgment. So he did not spare them, but cast them into hell. Then he goes on to speak of the ancient world, of the wickedness of man before the flood. And so he said he did not spare the ancient world, but a flood came. He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly and destroyed them and annihilated them in judgment, but preserved Noah and seven others. Then he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah, this filthy city, this sinful city. And what does it say for their lawless deeds? He turned them to ashes. He condemned them to extinction. It's very clear, and there's no getting around it. The condign punishment that the Lord brings about on false teachers and those that would follow, those that rebel against Him and do not repent. But notice also in verse 6, it says, He made them an example of the end of the ungodly. But then it speaks of rescuing and delivering Noah, rescuing Lot. But at the same time, he speaks of these false teachers and their ilk being destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for the wrongdoing. That in verses 12 and 13. And even notice in that, notice in that, that in the punishment, in the condemnation, he uses the same language. Their sin is part of their punishment. They will be destroyed in their destruction. They will suffer wrong as a wage for their wrongdoing. They're captives to their sin. They're victims of their own sin. 
as the Lord God Almighty in his righteousness and justice will mete out this punishment. He speaks of them as accursed children, the gloom of utter darkness that is reserved for them. And then in verse 20, he speaks of the last state has become worse for them than the first. And then concludes the passage by saying, it's better for them never to have known this way of righteousness than to turn again to ungodliness, forsaking the Lord and his commandments, just as a dog returns to its vomit and a sow to mire. Well, if this is not enough, bear with me a bit longer. As we have heard the Good Shepherd warning his people about false prophets, as we hear our Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, pronouncing this judgment and condemnation on false teachers and those that would follow, we need to take more time and hear this description and this indictment of the character and conduct of the false teachers. Some of this we have heard already, and then once again, this will be something of a blitz. We hear them spoken of, of their sensuality, of their greed, of their ungodliness. Verse 10 says that they indulge in the lust of defiling passions. In verses 10, we have this description of despising authority, of being bold and willful, of blaspheming the glorious ones, being angels or the messengers of God. In verses 12, and these stand out uh, even in a more striking way, he, he describes them as irrational animals and creatures of instinct, like brute beasts in the wild that are carrying out uh, just a, a, a survival mode of eating and, and, and killing and eating to survive and then being sexual predators. And so, and that it, that it says that they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, their blots and blemishes, reveling in deception. And again, to hear how, uh, how horrid this is, it says that their hypocrisy and deceptive and deception is taking place while they feast with you. In a couple of weeks, Robert Browning will be preaching from Jude, a very similar passage with very similar warnings, terrible warnings about false teachers. But in that passage in Jude 12, it's, uh, in speaking of feasting with you, it says that, that they, they show up at your love feast even while living this ungodly, wicked life. It continues, eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. And if we had time to go into the depth of this sin, it would, it would be gross to hear. But it says they entice unsteady souls. Their hearts are trained in greed. Forsaking the right way, they go astray. And on and on. Well, we should get the picture here clearly. That the good shepherd cares for his sheep. He warns his sheep about false prophets. We hear the condemnation that is a condemnation that assigns the ungodly, the repentant ungodly, to hell. A true hell. Spoken of by Christ where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not cease to eat. A place of darkness, of gnashing of teeth. Revelation speaks of the lake of fire. And so... This is what Peter is saying. 
this under-shepherd of Christ is saying about the character and conduct. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of life. It's not just a matter of orthodoxy and teaching, but it's a matter of all of these things. One writer and and teacher, pastor from uh, days gone by, Michael Green, wrote this in Psalm. He said, this then is the character of the false teachers as set out so far. They are dominated by their lust. Their passions are given free sway with the result that they behave like animals while the, the mental and spiritual sides of their humanity suffer atrophy. They are headstrong, rebellious against the will of God and reckless of the consequences. They are contemptuous of other people, be these human or celestial. They are self-willed. The central man always is, for in the last analysis, self is all that matters to him. And he goes on with some freedom to say his hell is that his world contracts until the only thing he has left is the self he has corrupted. And that along with the condign punishment of Almighty God, who is righteous and just. And so, in closing, what do we take from this? Well, it is a clear and sober extreme warning concerning false teachers and those that would follow. Again, no time to name names, but it is a warning to us to be careful about what we read, about who we watch, who we listen to, who we are influenced by. I will, as I did in the earlier service, take a a moment of personal privilege and say that I am truly grateful I am truly grateful to be in a congregation where the gospel is proclaimed faithfully, truly, with a love for Christ, with a love for his people, and that there is a congregation that hears the good shepherd and follows him. But we can't say that with pride. We can't say that resting in ourselves. We give thanks for this, and I truly do give thanks But this passage should awaken us. It should humble us that we too are capable of all of the things that have been described in this passage. So thanksgiving for this truth that the Lord knows how to rescue, how to deliver, how to save His people. And He has truly done that in the life and death and resurrection, and the ascension of Christ, and in His sure coming again. Let us look to Him. Let us not miss this opportunity as we come to terms with the reality of our own sin, our own rebellion, our own pride, lust, and greed, and acknowledge our infinite need for His grace and mercy. This salvation that He has accomplished This salvation that He applies to His people by the gracious and sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. We need Him. We cry out to Him. And I pray that if there are any here that have not looked to Jesus, have not embraced Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, that you would flee to Him. Flee from the wrath to come and embrace Christ in all of His love and all of His mercy and all of His grace. He is a great Savior. So thanks be to God that our Good Shepherd does warn us, 
of the soul-destroying false teachers and those who would follow, and that he has laid down his life for us, that he will not lose one of us, that when he speaks, his sheep hear his voice and follow him. Praise be to God and pray that that will be true. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, again we come to you. We should be humbled. We should have hearts that rejoice in the gospel of grace. We thank you that you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. And that in doing that, how will you not also with him freely give us all things? And you have. So we pray now that you would press these truths into our hearts and into our lives. That we would continue to look to Christ and his love, his beauty, his saving work. We pray these things in his name. Amen.